Hello, and welcome to the LMASE podcast series, Demonstrating Your Value. We'll hear from legal marketing experts as they share information to help you advance your career. We hope you enjoy today's episode. I'd like to welcome our listeners as we kick off our LMASE podcast series, Demonstrating Your Value. Our topic today is leading a team effectively through change, and our speaker is Aaron Ryan, Senior Business Development Manager for McGuire Woods. Aaron is passionate about strengthening organizations from the inside out. She is co-chair of the LMASE 2021 Regional Conference. Aaron is based in McGuire Woods' Charlotte office and has more than 15 years experience in legal marketing. She received a degree in journalism and a JD from the University of Wisconsin. Erin, welcome to our program. Thanks, Keely. Thank you so much for having me. We're looking forward to it. The COVID-19 pandemic has greatly impacted our firms and our employees. What are some key change markers or blips that will impact the team? Oh, well, first of all, it's a great term that you use there, blip, um, because the image it brings to mind for me when you say that is, is a heart monitor. And it's appropriate because I think we all know that teams are, in effect, the heart of an organization. And, you know, not unlike a human heart, um, you know, a dysfunctional valve or erosion, it can impact the entire body. And just like that, if we have these changes or blips that impact a team, if left to their own devices, it it really could impact the entire team or the entire organization. So what I want to ho- what I hope that our, our our listeners take away today is that as leaders, when changes are happening, it is our job to ensure those blips don't take the entire thing down. They don't have to, and they shouldn't. And that thing, that thing could be any number of things. It could be taking the culture of a team down, the culture of an organization. It could be taking the efficiencies down, the structure, what have you. Um, so when you talk to me about blips and what they typically look like for teams, you know, some, some ones that come to the top of mind are, are departures, voluntary departures. You know, someone on your team finds a new job, they relocate somewhere else, um, involuntary departures or performance terminations when your team goes through a change because there is a dysfunctional valve or someone isn't pulling their weight and it's kind of pulling the whole team down. Uh, department reorganizations. I challenge anyone listening right now to say that they've never been through something like a department reorganization where everything's just kind of shuffled around and you have to find your way through a new a new structure. Um, and of course, things like a global pandemic, furloughs, layoffs, those are really big blips and really big changes that I know a lot of leaders right now are are managing through. Um, and, you know, before we leave the pandemic, I know we're not going to harp on it too long, but I recently read an article in the Harvard Business Review um, titled, How to Support Your Remaining Employees After a Layoff. And, you know, while we haven't thankfully had to go through this at McGuire Woods, um, it, it resonated because I thought of a lot of people in my network who have had to think about this, either on the side of being laid off or on the side of staying or on the side of managing people through it. Um, and it just has a lot of really good good tips and good um, thoughts. And what I took away is that I, I, I don't typically think about this, but the remaining employees after a layoff or a round of layoffs Yes, they may be relieved to still have a job, but they also may simultaneously 
be incredibly guilt-ridden about the people who were let go. And the article calls this survivor guilt. It's normally associated with traumatic events or accidents, but it, it can also happen after corporate layoffs. So it's not uncommon for employees left to think, why did I get to keep my job and they didn't? Why do I still get to support my family and they don't? Why do I still have insurance and they don't? All of those questions. So as I was reading, I, I was thinking, you know, lest we minimize the impact of, of, of these blips or changes that we're talking about today, um, it matters. The article cites that nearly three quarters of employees retained after a layoff have decreased productivity. Their quality suffers. The product or service deteriorates because of the survivor guilt. Unless we understand the importance of actually leading people through a change like that in the things that we're talking about today, the article also says that workers who felt that their managers were visible, approachable, open, those employees were 70% less likely to report that productivity drop, less likely to report a decline in the quality of their organization's offerings. So I, I say all that to underscore the importance of acknowledging these changes, acknowledging that changes happen, but also leading through them appropriately. These changes will understandably impact team members in different ways. And as you mentioned, um, it's important for our listeners to understand how to lead through change. What is the single most important skill that leaders need to lead their teams through these changes? Oh, single most important. That, that's a hard one. Um, well, you know, if we kind of pan out and talk about the negative side first of what happens if that single most important skill is not employed. I think that if, if changes in blips are not managed well, if they're swept under the rug, if they're messaged differently than what is otherwise known as the reality, if they create a ripple of toxicity that kind of goes unchecked, then that's where we talk about this long-term damage. That's where we talk about bringing down the team, bringing down the, the department, the organization. That's where all that starts. So on a macro level, if you ask me the single most important skill that leaders need, it would by far be emotional intelligence. I know that's a big concept and people talk about it a lot, but it is top of my list because I just don't think it can be overstated. And most people are familiar with the, the concept of emotional intelligence, even if they're not familiar with all the, the aspects and crevices of it. But at its core, it's really the ability to identify and monitor emotions. And that's your emotions, the emotions of people around you, and then to use those emotions to react to them productively. So, you know, that's where we kind of head off that toxicity. We head off the miscommunications and we keep that, that culture and that, um, that team intact. And really so many good things flow from having a solid emotional intelligence um, or EQ, I guess as people call it, um, communication the ability to resolve conflict, personal stress levels can go down with solid EQ, resilience, physical health, and really importantly in times of change or when a blip is happening is the ability to connect with people on a human level. I think all of that stems from having a really solid emotional intelligence. Top of my list, Keely. Definitely, I agree. I think that is one skill that we all need to embrace. Um, let's delve a little bit more into that emotional intelligence since it is such a big concept. Within EQ, what should leaders be especially attuned to? Oh, well, I definitely don't want to recite all of the 
aspects of EQ because if it's a big concept and it can go on and on. But top of that more granular list would certainly be empathy. I think it's one of the most important traits within EQ and frankly within leadership. If you think about the people you most enjoy being around, whether it's socially or professionally or pretty much any aspect of your life, they're probably pretty tuned into their own emotions and yours. So when you're talking to them, if you disagree on something, they don't necessarily approach that disagreement in attack mode. Instead, it's more of a constructive conversation. They don't just listen to you and kind of hear your words, but, but they make you feel heard. And those are the, the nuances that, that I think come with really strong empathy skills. Because um, you can see that, you can feel that in action in the people around you. Now, on the flip side, we've all encountered people who lack empathy. <laughs> I think we all know some people <laughs> like that. My guess is that they are not on the short list of people that you respect as leaders. Um, you probably wouldn't turn to them for guidance in difficult times. Those are two things that are really important in times of change, leadership and being able to guide people in difficult times. And if you don't have empathy, you're just probably not on people's short list. Personally, um, if I kind of take this down to real life, one of the hardest change management skills I've had to learn um, is being able to view any particular situation through the eyes of someone else. And I know I've just stated the definition of empathy, but that's someone else being a particular person, you know, a team member that I know that I've worked with. It's still a really conscious effort. And I, I consider myself an empath. So that's, that's saying something that I still have to consciously do this. What I do in case this helps our listeners in any way, I typically tick through three quick questions in my head to up my EQ or my empathy quotient before having any conversations about a change going on. And, you know, whether it's a team reorg or, or God forbid, a layoff or a termination or something like that, these three questions are kind of what I tick through. What information do I know? about this change, but they don't. How will this team change affect their day-to-day -day life? And finally, is my empathy being channeled appropriately? So if I take each one of those in turn, if you can indulge me and let me go into a little bit of detail there, what information do I know about this change, but they don't? So I think what that looks like is maybe what appears to someone who's not in my shoes to be a voluntary departure was actually a performance issue, but they don't know that. You know, that's kind of, we have two different perceptions there. Maybe I've taken for granted hearing messages from the leadership that haven't trickled down below me. That's a communication empathy issue. Maybe I have a really great beat at a high level view of the rest of the team. So I can see at a high level who's doing what, how they're doing, when they're doing it, why they're doing it. I have to step back and remember that not everyone has that seat, not everyone has that perspective. And that can really change someone's perception of how a change is happening, why it's happening. Maybe we as senior leaders have failed to communicate clearly the future direction of the team. Maybe we've just sort of had these behind closed doors conversations and we see clearly that this change is going to affect that future direction of the team in a good way, but that message hasn't actually gotten out to the rest of the team, and that would give them context to the change. Or, you know, another, maybe we see impending challenges 
that we need to be ready for. But those challenges haven't, again, trickled kind of beyond those closed, closed doors. So all to say, I have to take a step back. What information do I know about this change that they don't? Um, another thing that I, the, the second question I ask to kind of up my empathy quotient before I have any conversations is thinking, how will this team change affect their day-to-day -day life? So in the event of a departure from a team, even if they're not going to take on the additional work directly, will there be a ripple effect in resources around the team? Um, you know, we've had people leave our team for various reasons that maybe that role was really, really proposal heavy. And that particular person who sat in that role loved doing proposals. And they, you know, they churned and burned their own proposals. But maybe now that that person's no longer there, those proposals have to go somewhere else until we find someone else. Maybe it goes to a proposal team. Well, now that that proposal team is spread a little bit thinner because they're taking on that workload, maybe now they're able, less able to support the remaining team members in the way that they had before. So you can see there's just sort of these ripple effects that it's our job as leaders to think through, not to say that we need to change what's happening, but to think through at least before we approach these conversations. And that's a great segue into the third question, which is my empathy being channeled appropriately. Um, you know, when I talk about empathy, it can oftentimes, I think, appear to be more of like a pushover trait. But the thing is, empathy doesn't necessarily mean agreeing with the other person's point of view or letting them change what's happening or the course of action that you've decided on. It's really just about mentally and emotionally trying to meet them where they are when you're talking to them. And I've seen, I've experienced, I preach that doing that, just taking that time to meet them where they are, it allows you to not just muddle your way through change, but actually do something positive. Maybe connect with them in a deeper way that will help your relationship going forward. You know, to me, that's kind of fortifying your relationship in a really meaningful way through change that will last much, much longer than whatever the immediate change is or the immediate blip. Does that make sense, Keely? Yes, it does. And I love that deep dive into the emotional intelligence. Before we leave that topic, are there any other skills or aspects of EQ that deserve mentioning? Oh, so many, probably. But um, if I were to choose one, I would say confidence. Um, again, a big concept, all sorts of things happening there. But I think of it as confidence to lead well through change, because that's, that's what we're talking about today. So when I talk about confidence in this context, it's, it's not just kind of the run-of-the-mill, you-can-do-it attitude. Um, I guess we could term it something like, you know, EQ-driven confidence or EQ confidence or whatever you want to call it. But essentially, it's a multidimensional confidence that impacts the entire EQ package that someone has. And I think it really directly impacts how leaders lead through change. So without getting too into the weeds, um, you know, I'll just kind of brief you. I, I really see confidence in three levels. And again, this is EQ confidence, the confidence to lead well through change. I think it comes in three levels. Of course, the first is self-confidence. Um, many of us just, we don't get too far in our careers or our life without that baseline self-confidence. And this is what's incorporated into the standard EQ theory. And I think it's nestled up somewhere under the self-awareness prong. But self-confidence, of course. I think there's another level there. 
it's the confidence that others have in your abilities to lead. Now, this is, this is an external perception because, of course, you control your own actions, but you really don't have direct control over how others think of you or how you're perceived by others. I can't walk up to someone and put my hand on their head and say, you are going to think of me as a great leader or a great change agent or whatever. We just don't have that power. That would be weird if we did. But there's that second level of confidence. So here's the key, I think, the diamond in the rough. The rare but really key ingredient to leading well through change is the confidence you inspire within others. So in other words, helping them to feel self-confident. It's, it's almost a cycle. Um, and this is the one, I think, if you're able to do that, that can really set you apart during times of change or times of challenge. It's what makes you a leader as opposed to just a manager, honestly, if we're gonna splice hairs here. So, um, if, you know, if we were to give this some real life context, these three levels of confidence that I've sort of made up here, um, let's just think of a team reorganization. Again, many of us have gone through those. Um, it's not the best thing, it's not the worst thing, it, could, it just kind of is. So if you have self-confidence and you're sitting in that leader seat of leading a team through that change, you are personally confident in your ability to reorganize a team. You are personally confident with how you've executed that reorganization. You are very great. Everything's great, that self-confidence. So if we take that to the next level where others have confidence in your abilities to do this, in your abilities to reorg a department, then that looks like your team being happy to go along with it because they trust you're smart and they trust that you're acting in the interest of the team and in the interest of the firm or your organization. That's that second one. I don't think that's too far reaching. I think we see that a lot. You know, that's we, a lot of us really do believe in our leaders and our, in their ability to do something like that. But this third one, again, the diamond in the rough, if through this reorganization, you as a leader are able to inspire others to be confident in themselves, to be confident in their skills as they work through this change themselves, to be confident in the organization and the fact that this reorg is happening, that, that is, that's where the magic is. You know, you, by doing that, are shoring up the resilience of your team to last through this change and any that come in the future. You're reconnecting them with the organization's purpose. You're kind of giving them back their why through this change. And you're serving them in a way that's really long lasting. I mean, that's, that's not just managing through change, that is leading through change. And I think that can make all the difference. So a long-winded way of saying confidence times three. <laughs> Times three, I like that. Those are some very powerful, powerful comments and statements um, that I think we we would all do well to to take in. Um, change is, is also an opportunity, obviously, for our teams. How can we embrace the change and use it as a positive impact for our teams moving forward? Well, you could put on some rose-colored glasses. That always helps. <laughs> but since none of us actually possess those, um, I guess my advice would, you know, simply would be to use that measured, steady emotional intelligence that we've talked about you know, for the last 20 minutes to see beyond the blip, 
to see beyond the change. Um, take this time to look for those opportunities, I guess, with that kind of glass half full attitude instead of just seeing challenges or seeing the blip. I came across this quote from Dan Spaulding, who's the chief people officer of Zillow, and it, it took me a few times to read through it, but it really resonated, and I think I'd like to share it with the audience here. What he said is, org design, organizational design, is about making scalable decisions. Are you making a long-term decision or simply trying to solve a short-term problem? Many leaders react to short-term org changes and create perpetual change instead of focusing on where they want the org to be long-term and setting a coherent strategy to get there. There will always be uncertainty and resistance, but when you can explain the changes, people can understand and rally around that vision. So it's just, it's got a lot wrapped up in there, but the takeaway in terms of what we're talking about is to see beyond the blip. And I think we've seen this with COVID. Um, you know, in the beginning, it was really hard to not just see a string of challenges, a string of blips. You know, how do we, how do we manage work and manage people remotely? How do we deal with these, this endless string of event cancellations? How do we deal with court closures? How do we deal with deal busts? How do we deal with the insane flood of work coming in in the form of client alerts, webinars, podcasts? How do we deal with team changes like furloughs, like layoffs? How do we deal with the market uncertainty? I think all of those challenges were really visceral reactions to what happened in the beginning. And that's, you know, that's March, that's April, that's May, probably even June. And all of that is still there. But if we're lucky, we've also taken some time or been guided to take some time to see beyond the blip and beyond the challenges. I think some people call them silver linings. I choose to call them opportunities in, in your words, you know, to your point. So if I take a step back and think about how we've turned or viewed some of those blips as opportunities, I can see that our team, my team at McGuire Woods, we have seized the opportunity to reconnect on a different, more personal level. Yes, everything is virtual, but the fact is I see people way, way more now. It doesn't involve getting on a plane. It doesn't involve being away from my kids. It doesn't involve working around a packed schedule. I get to see their faces four or more times a week. Yes, it's on video, but that's okay. And I will take that over two times a year in person. And so that's an opportunity for us to reconnect on a different, more personal level that doesn't have to be face-to-face. -face. I know that I personally seize the opportunity to reconnect with my firm on a deeper level. Um, you know, again, I said I'm an empath, but I've really, really struggled with what's been going on. This is a global human crisis that we are in the middle of right now. And, you know, yes, we all have jobs. Yes, we all have careers, but you strip away the titles, you strip away the hierarchy, you strip away the geographic and practice area silos that we see. And what it comes down to is that everyone around us is battling that same fight. We are all working at the same fill in here. And what I've seen, been able to see, taken the opportunity to see, is that at our core, no matter who you are in my network, at my firm, we are mothers, we are fathers, we are daughters, we are sons, we are aunts, we are uncles, we are all humans. And I'm, I know that I'm really lucky to be part of a firm 
that has led us through this pandemic in that way as humans first, not attorneys, not staff, not partners and associates, but just humans at, at the most basic level. And I see that as a huge opportunity to build that, that connection with my firm in the way that they've led this. You know, I won't belabor this, but obviously our lawyers have seized the opportunity to reconnect with clients, I think in a similar way on a human level first. And it's presented a lot of opportunities to, to be genuine and to authentically connect with people in our networks. But now, now that we're on, you know, I wouldn't, I dare not say we're on the back end. We've got some experience in our belts. I think now organization and leaders are, are thinking beyond the blip, far beyond the blip. What, what, what else are we going to see out there on the horizon if and when this does pass? What will that longer term look like? Which of these opportunities should stick around? Which opportunities should, should result in teams taking on different characteristics or different structures that will better situate us for the long term? What will the market look like? How could that drive the decision of how these teams should look and how the firm should operate? I think all of these are things to consider under the umbrella of creating positive impact through a seemingly really tough change. Erin, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with LMA SE and, and our audience today. Um, I know you're passionate about change and leading leading teams effectively through that. I can't wait to carry on this conversation with our conference in October of 2021, and um, we can continue to, to talk about um, change and, and what you've discussed here with us today. So thank you so much for your time and your thoughts. We really appreciate it. You are so welcome. I was honored to be on this. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Demonstrating Your Value, the podcast series from LMASE. To learn more about the Legal Marketing Association, visit legalmarketing.org.